0: Hello everyone, welcome to the Wednesday webinar. Tonight we are joined by reverend Father Vajit Thomas from Canberra. He's an MZL priest and the director of the MZL Mission Center in Canberra. Tonight he's taking a session on how to read the New Testament as part of the Bible study webinar series. This webinar will be recorded for future use and, and as we're about to begin, please have your Bibles and notebooks ready. And if you have any questions, please uh, send it in through the Q and A box. Thank you. And now I will hand it over to Father Bainju.
1: Hi everyone, uh, welcome again. So last time we saw how to read the Old Testament or the Hebrew uh, Bible uh, or the first covenant or first Testament. And now we are moving on to the New Testament there is no big difference uh, in a lot of uh, the uh, materials that we discussed uh, from the uh, previous session, uh, but uh, New Testament uh, definitely a uh, bit more coherent in all its uh, historical aspects as well as the, the methods of what we call the formation of the materials and all. So uh, looks like uh, the New Testament um, is bit sometimes we think that they are a bit more straightforward. Uh, when we look, uh, look at them historically uh, than the whole, uh, the First Testament or the Hebrew Bible. And just like, like we did in, pre- uh, in the previous session, uh, the first thing that we are going to look at today uh, um, when we analyze the formation of this, uh, uh, all the text in the new, all the books in the uh, New Testament, we'll just look at the cultural and historical background. So if we go to the next slide, you could see there. Um, the cultural and political history of Israel at the time of Jesus, or I would add a little bit, the pre uh, Jesus' time, and also the early church. And we see the Palestine and the other the nations from uh, 332 BC to 40 BC. Uh, in other words, uh, after the, uh, the, the uh, conquest of Alexander, that Alexander conquered uh, Jerusalem, as we see that uh, 330. And from then onwards, uh, um, after the Babylonian exile, uh, and uh,
0: the the Jerusalem or the culture of the Holy Land was uh, highly influenced by the Alexandrian
1: or the uh, Greek uh, or the Hellenistic culture that, um, uh, and that's when we have this, um, uh, you know, when we look at the the books of Daniel and all those things, it's a response to a lot of the Hellenistic. Uh, influence of the, uh, the one uh, true belief uh, of Judaism. And uh, 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 from then onwards, uh, mainly, though there are different uh, people to conquer the the Holy Land, mainly all of them were uh, educated or influenced by uh, Greek culture. Though some of the Roman generals, those who had dominion over the area of Palestine or the uh, particular area that we call Holy Land, uh, or the promised land. They also had, um, uh, around this time, we see after Alexander's death, the, uh, the cultural friendship of uh, both the Greeks and the Romans and us, as as we, we just saw, when we looked at the, the geographical background of the promised land before, the promised land stay, uh, stayed there as an international crossroad that was an international meeting point not only of the peoples and also of the tribes and of the troops, either battle troops or the troops for business, but also culturally that was the meeting point. So it was that particular part of the world can be easily influenced by any culture or any religion or any kind of uh, uh, the literature, art, anything that passed through that area. So uh, around this time, uh, the the Judaism uh, was highly influenced by the Greeks. So we see that uh, Alexander's conqu- Alexander dies 323, and then 320, uh, the total uh, Egyptian control over Holy Land by Ptolemy, and that uh, went until the Maccabean revolt, and uh, then uh, around Seleucid Dominion happens uh, uh, 198, and then uh, around that... Uh, this time uh, there was uh, two groups of Jews uh, lived around that area of Palestine, or what we call the promised land, was some people, those who have some kind of a universal view that uh, and some are quite more strict, rigid religious view based on the on Torah or the sacred scriptures of, of Judaism at that time. So we have this Hellenistic Jews and also again or sake or uh, the the what we call the Jews uh, the who really based the rigidly follow the letters of the law. So that's why we have a lot of uh, uh, different religious emerging of the uh, uh, different religious groups like uh, uh, Sadducees, Pharisees, and uh, Essenes, Zealots, and uh, the formation of all these different groups comes from some kind of an identity crisis uh, happened upon uh, the people of God uh, the first covenant because uh, they. Um, there was a push from uh, all these conquering nations to adopt uh, their own, because everyone who conquers that land, they wanted to make the, 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 the conquered empire, uh, one religion, one language, one culture. Uh, and uh, around this time, the Greek uh, that um, Alexander, in fact, um, uh, in fact, uh, he introduced this coin of Greek uh, around all the area that he conquered, because one language, one people, one kind of culture, and one religion makes uh, is easy to control and easy to rule over, and therefore everyone who conquers, they wanted to make it uh, make it happen. And even the Romans, uh, they wanted to make uh, an entire world Roman. The Greeks wanted to make entire world Greek. And as an international crossroad, these heavy influences happened upon uh, the people of God. And, uh, uh, the in, um, and Greek culture, Greek philosophy, Greek art, and also the Roman culture, Roman philosophy and Roman art were uh, uh, somehow, uh, sort of began to contribute into the life and also into the faith of, of people of God around this time. So the next slide. And as I said, the religion and philosophy uh, um, of uh, both Greeks and the Romans uh, began to make an influence uh, around uh, time. And people live in high insecurity at this time because uh, even after Babylonian exile uh, they returned back but uh, the land was not well settled that they had to be in fear of somebody and, uh, and towards, uh, the, uh, towards the towards um, the arrive arrival in in Palestine and it f- uh, fully fell into the hands of Romans the, the promised land and that uh, as we know that Romans even if they Build or even if they destroy, they do that perfectly. So people had to always live in that fear. That uh, especially at the time uh, towards the uh, the towards the uh, end of first century, uh, the time of our uh, Lord's arrival, Jesus is coming. Uh, that was uh, the Roman uh, somehow some kind of unity and peace in Roman Empire that includes uh, Jerusalem, it's known as Pax Romana, uh, by the coming of uh, of. Uh, the first emperor of the Roman uh, Roman Empire, Augustus Caesar. And at this time, uh, the religious confusion that there's an identity crisis, who is the real people of God? How can we continue as the real people of God? How to preserve the land? Which way we should go with more liberal uh, 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 and political way uh, of leading a religious life or a strict rigid uh, uh, life based on Torah? and there were different groups of like Jewish groups were there and they had this confusion and even we can see when we read the gospel, the Sadducees and Pharisees, they had their own differences believing in the after death and all that things. Uh, uh, So they had their own religious differences, uh, at least in their views and all because of this uh, different cultures influences. uh, Different people sort of uh, thought it's too good to have a bit more of a liberal view all matters and uh, and uh, and therefore the, the, the confusion so they needed somebody to teach the law quite more clearly in fact the that part of the world in fact, looking for a good, a good teacher who tells the truth who can give them more light into the, the real matters and because of their fear the that they the old covenant expectation for a Messiah was quite heavy that they in fact eagerly and. Uh, uh, and with a great hunger, waiting for a messiah. And uh, 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 that's the, as I said, the Pax Romana, the time, uh, so if you go to the next slide, uh, sorry. Um, so the, um, uh, it was the time of Pax Romana, the, 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 the unified Roman empire. Everyone could uh, uh, travel to any part of the world and any kind of uh, philosophy and knowledge was accessible uh, uh, part, of, uh, part of this. So, in other words, uh, uh, intellectually uh, and uh, culturally, uh, everyone could access to something. There was a freedom of learning things, a freedom of freedom for uh, the teachers to teach. In other words, uh, uh, there was a lot of gurus, like that's what we call a lot of gurus or the wise teachers, uh, could uh, practice. And because Greeks always respected uh, teachers uh, like wise men and uh, and saw so the Romans. So there was the intellectual freedom was part of that Pax Romana, the Roman peace that brought about uh, the only thing that was uh, the, any conflict, any kind of up, uprising uh, that Romans would suppress, but otherwise everything was quite free. So this is the time that our Lord came when there was a religious confusion, The people were really looking for a teacher to tell or somebody to tell what is the real truth, how to live as an authentic Jew and what is the, the the real message of Judaism so the Judai teacher they were really looking for some uh, some kind of a figure like that, and also that uh, expectation for a messiah was quite uh, quite real at that time because they lived in this uh, uncertain situation that they are they cannot predict what will uh, Romans do next for the conquering party so and uh, any anyone could uh, exercise the intellectual um, uh, um, kind of uh, endeavours quite freely in, uh, in that area. And that's the time our Lord comes. So when we look at uh, uh, the, the birth of time, we, uh, we believe that he came in the perfect time, in the completion of time. So this was some sort of a, the, the, the height of, of the history of uh, the, the both West as well as of the, of, uh, you know, the Gre- Greco-Roman world and also the, the part of the Mediterranean world. Uh, what we call now uh, the, uh, the promised land or the holy land. So that was sort of, uh, I'll just give this uh, historical background to tell that the Lord came, Jesus came uh, around this time, a perfect time that he could uh, really learn. He could ask, uh, ask uh, in the last session, we just saw that he was, the Nazareth was quite close to that midigag, uh, that, um, uh, Midgar, that um, what we call the international crossroad, and he could just look down to that part of the world and see all these nations come and go by. And so uh, Jesus was born in that area, in that time of uh, great intellectual freedom and everyone was expecting for some uh, divine intervention in the history and there comes the son of God himself. And then we have the ministry of Jesus and then we have his uh, um, life and death. And the post resurrection area, the apostolic time that Jesus' ministry is continued by his apostles. And then we have next slide we have uh, this great man, uh, Paul, uh, that uh, the, that movement started in Jerusalem. That was the vision of Jesus, you know, from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And in those days, people, uh, people thought Rome was the end of the world or end of the earth or the boundaries. So Paul took uh, from Jerusalem uh, to all the way to to Rome. So the the church started in Rome, uh, in in Jerusalem and flourished through all those parts and uh, eventually ended up in in Rome. And uh, so that uh, Paul's uh, missionary activities um, uh, under Jesus' uh, command, Peter was the the leading figure. And uh, it was Paul who in fact uh, took initiative to initiative of, uh, of the growth of the church. So under the leadership of Peter, the growth happened under the work of uh, of Paul. So Peter and Paul, uh, the whole dynamics of uh, of church, born in Jerusalem, now for the entire world, and uh, reaches to the ends of the earth uh, through the missionary activity of Paul and his collaborators. And then we have this uh, church and Roman Empire. Uh, initially, until AD 85, church had some. A good time, that uh, church, uh, the what we call the Christianity, uh, was considered to be a sect of Judaism. Uh, in the first century, there were four kinds of uh, Jewish people: Pharisees, Sadducees, and Essenes, uh, uh, Selects and also the fifth one they added was Christianity, the Christians, or the Nazarenes. That's what they called the one who follow those who follow uh, Jesus of Nazareth, the Nazarenes. And so the kind of uh, Christianity was found or this uh, sort of considered as a a sect of Judaism until 85 when Gamaliel II officially declared that Christianity is no longer part of of Judaism. And therefore the Christians could not enjoy the favors that Roman emperors gave to the Jewish people. And then uh, when we read the gospel of uh, John, a lot of uh, historical events are pointed out uh not directly but indirectly through the uh, phrases and the literature that john or the author of the fourth gospel uses so we uh, we will get to that a bit later so the church and roman empire initially there's some peace there but later the roman empire was greatly against uh, the the growth of christianity and then starts this era of epic of black the, the the era era of uh, great martyrs and uh, and uh, the, the peak of blood but at the same time that's the that, that growth of the church across Europe uh, and you know that's when the martyrs were uh, bleeding that became sealed for uh, the church to, and the church flourished uh, uh, spiritually and uh, uh, in its seal around that time. So uh, so again uh, the New Testament all these materials and the text that we see uh, it's uh, again the Lord is writing the, his words initially in the human history and especially in the history of the chosen ones. So all these historical facts contributed uh, in the formation of the uh, New Testament, uh, uh, New Testament as we just have seen all those historical situations contributed in the formation of the, uh, the books of the Hebrew Bible. Next one. The meta-narrative, last time we saw the foundational story uh, for the first covenant, it is the exodus event. As I said, the meta-narrative, the foundational uh, story or the foundational myth is that that, uh, it is not somebody who discovered by meditation or it's not based on a private revelation, but it is based on a a, a public revelation, in other words, a group of people met, uh, their God. Like in the Exodus event, uh, the everyone with their eyes met the God, met their God with the action of God. It was not one person or two person, or it's not a private event. It was a public like event of community that a group of people together witnessed the power of their God. The same with maternality with the New Testament is the cross and resurrection. Twelve people together they saw somebody was crucified, died, and now they saw he is Listen alive in their midst uh, and walking around uh, with them and also giving uh, them the further advices uh, to how to go forward so they met and also like Paul courses that the, the risen lord met the 12 first then uh, to kepa and the eleven, and then to uh, to the 500 people gathered um, uh, that uh, so it is a public event and that story continues now that anyone who becomes a christian uh, it's not because some, the person is forced or some, it's not a casual thing, but uh, any, every Christian, uh, the meta is still present because unless we have, meet, uh, unless we have met the, the risen Lord, we can never call ourselves Christians. One of the criteria that this, this person, Christ, is here and now, that uh, he is uh, approachable, that anyone can see him if they want. So that uh, risen Lord's presence here, that encounter experiences still continue. And that's what makes Christianity quite different. That's not a Christianity is not a religion of, uh, of philosophy, it is not a religion of doctrines, but it's all about a person encountering this living true God who is here and now. So metanarrative narrative is the, the, the story of crucified and risen. Everything starts from there, uh, either looking back or going forward. So next slide. Uh, For example, uh, when we look at uh, the the books, uh, the first books to be written by, written, uh, the first document to be written in the New Testament was 1 Thessalonians and that happened around AD 50. And when we look at that, Paul is speaking about the one crucified and risen, the resurrection of Jesus and also of his death. And so that's the first book uh, sort of starts from the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then the first gospel, there is some dispute among the scholars uh, if uh, Matthew's gospel is the first one to be written and some take that uh, position but generally accepted position is that Mark's gospel was the first gospel to be written and therefore um, and that was around AD 60 and uh, baptism of uh, the, when we look at the gospel of Mark it begins with the baptism of, uh, of John's baptism so the first document to be written starts with the death of Jesus and the second document uh, or the, the the book to be written as uh, that goes a bit further, not with his death, but uh, starting from his public ministry that started with the baptism of uh, baptism in, in the river Jordan, and then followed by Matthew and Luke. They wrote their gospels around the same time, 70 to 75, and they go a bit even bit further. Yeah. Now we know the public ministry of this guy. Now let us further discover who Jesus is. So let us go back to the birth. So Matthew and Mark is the birth stories of Jesus, and John, in his turn, a later gospel, he thought, okay, now we know the birth of Jesus, so we know from there. So let's go a bit further. So John start starting from Jesus's pre-existence, that he was the Word, and he uh, he was with God, and he was God. So he goes not. Not to the birth, but even beyond, and he goes to the pre-existence of Jesus. So we see the pattern of uh, the church's understanding grows over the time. So they, those who were actually involved in writing down the materials, uh, they had that um, that, that uh, the that um, uh, inspiration to research, inspiration, to discover, and to go uh, go further. So um, the next slide. Now we come to the three stages of the formation of the New Testament. And uh, um, the first one is, of course, historical Jesus. That's what we say uh, when we uh, analyze the life of Jesus, uh, the historical Jesus, and we also sp- uh, speak of Jesus of faith. The historical Jesus is the Jesus who lived in the history, the, the real history of Jesus, and oral traditions. So all those who witnessed the lives, uh, life of Jesus uh, and his teachings, they. That was continued through oral traditions that uh, uh, the, 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 all the witnesses spoke to others. so the oral traditions. and later only around only after five 500, uh, fifty years, after only really, these things began to be written down about uh, Jesus' life. and then it was oral tradition. So historical Jesus, the, the, the life, death and the teachings of Jesus. and then that was continued through oral traditions. And then uh, later written text. So these are the three for, uh, stages of the formation of the uh, New Testament. And the next one, uh, this one, I uh, I will not elaborate on that so much because uh, um, uh, I'm just giving you how people uh, or the first uh, when when the church was trying to or oh, when we even study about the life of Christ from the Gospels or from the New Testament. Uh, um new testament materials how can we how can we be confident that these are accurate historically accurate and there are some criteria are there and but uh, um, th- these criteria can limp so I will not elaborate so much on that but because we are looking at the whole introduction to the New testament I thought I'll just put uh, just uh, put that in there uh, they are the uh, criterion of dissimilarity criterion of multiple attestation, criterion of semitisms, criterion of di- divergent traditions, criterion of primitive eschatology, criterion of uh, pa- uh, Palestinian environmental phenomena, and criterion of coherence. And now I encourage you to read that for yourselves. if I try to um, give you the uh, definitions for all seven of them, that might take a lot of time. So that's your homework. You can research that for yourselves. Uh, next slide. Now this one, uh, when we look at uh, put uh, last time we said with the, how to fix the canon of the uh, sacred scripture, and there was a wonderful question at the end, uh, which I might uh, give further answer to that if I get time uh, today, um, if that person is present who asked that question regarding Jerome and his influence uh, in fixing the canon. So criteria for canonization of the written materials in the New Testament, uh, especially towards the, um, um, towards the 5th century, uh, 419 with the Council of Carthage. Um, uh, all that the Church Fathers looked at is uh, that if this material has got some apostolic origin, in other words, uh, this material is apostolically attested, some apostles attested that, or some of them somehow underpins the teachings of the apostles, all the material, all the things in this material that somehow apostles used in their teaching. So, the, if uh, it's somehow connected to the apostolic era, somehow connected to the apostolic teaching, and then uh, if this material was uh, used in public worship, because when they gathered the New Testament uh, materials, uh, especially just before the Diocletian uh, um, uh, sort of so, uh, he sought to discover all the written materials of the Christians and to burn them. Somehow this was preserved, a lot of the materials were preserved in Antioch. And uh, how it came in Antioch was because in those days, all those five major churches, Jerusalem, Alexandria, Antioch, uh, Antioch Rome, and Constantinople, uh, they solemnly uh, exchanged the collected materials of all the written materials of the uh, from the New Testament. And that's how Uh, that was collected. And um, so used in public worship is one of the criteria. If this material to be in the canon, it has to be used in public worship from the beginning. And again, the third one is uh, if this material somehow contradicts the living faith tradition, the apostolic tradition, somehow, so we will not put that in the canon. So for example, a lot of books are, are not in the canon, like for the Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Judas, are there. They historical documents. They says they give some history of the of the truth, but it, it is uh, it, it somehow contradicts the living uh, apostolic tradition and apostolic teaching. So it, it is not if it is not in compliance with the living tradition, we will not put that, or they they didn't put that uh, in the canon. So when we look at the formation of the the fixed canons that we have now, this uh, the criteria they uh, they uh, sought to um, um, they sought and these were the criteria that they held. So authors, thanks to St. Jerome and also Athanasius and some of the uh, origin and all or the first century, uh, second century, or third century fathers, they, um, they are the ones to help us to understand uh, and who the real uh, the authors. So the, when we look at the, uh, the, any of the books, nobody really uh, gives their names as authors only in the gospel of john and luke they give some idea about the the, the authors I'm, but i'm speaking about the human authors but uh, not uh, majorly about their name or context and but uh, the early church fathers somehow um, they think they discovered and they gave names uh, to the evangelists and um, um, when we study the materials normally we sort of uh, Call uh, called the first first gospel or the author of the first gospel author of the second gospel author of the third gospel and author of the uh, fourth gospel and um, uh, so others there are uh, with Paul's letters we have we are confident that he is the author and but there is some uh, confusion stands with uh, the book of uh, uh, the letter to hebrews and uh, it could be a combination of paul uh, and his disciples or Disciples inspired by Pauline style of writing um, still uh, in debate, um, but some churches quite clearly claim that it is it belongs to to uh, to Paul. And when we look at the liturgy, we can if uh, there is the uh, the reading is from Hebrews, they clearly say that letter of St Paul to the Hebrews. But uh, that's uh, in debate. Uh, so the other the human authors are quite more clear. Uh, in in terms of uh, new testament uh, books but uh, uh, though some confusions are there and uh, um, but the early church fathers helped us to identify who's the authors and uh, that is carried till today. Next one Uh, survey of the methods of uh, interpretation Um, that's when we look at the different um, um, how to read the, this is where we sort of, you know, how to read the, the um, actual texts that, um, um, so how, you know, when we look at the, any of your um, Bible, uh, when we look at the, especially look at the different translations, how can you translate it well? Or what is the real meaning of the author? And, or what was the real message that the author wanted to communicate to a community of faith? And uh, part of that, um, so we have uh, these uh, uh, different biblical criticisms. It's not actually the English word criticism, it is sort of the biblical way of understanding or analyzing things. So, but uh, we use the word criticism. So, we look at the textual criticism that when, especially when the texts were in ancient times, when they're rewriting or copying, a lot of uh, uh, confusions happen, a lot of things with papyrus leaves or, or the ink or the scrolls. Uh, so the way that people copied, there are some uh, textual confusions. So when you look at your New Testament Bible, you can see underneath most of the pages, you have the footnote saying that in some, uh, some sources say this differently. That means uh, uh, there is uh, uh, some textual uh, confusion is there, but we did not take that away because there is some confusion. We let it be the as it is. And then we give some kind of that's a reductor's note. There is some some other way to show it's differently. And the source criticism is means which kind of source it comes from, which we look at with uh, detail in the following slide. And the form criticism, what kind of literary form the author used. So and uh, so if uh, is a it poetic way of writing? Is it a historiographic, like say so history? Um, is it, is it, if the author wrote it as a history book, uh, so the historical form, or it is a mythical form. And uh, so all that. Redaction criticism, in the process of compiling them, uh, if the the redactor used any kind of freedom under the inspiration of uh, of a wider community, and the redaction criticism, especially when we look at at the uh, Gospel of John, um, there are a lot of scope for uh, redaction criticism just uh, you know some parts could be added, some parts could be um, uh, taken away. So there is a lot of uh, you know especially when we look at certain parts of Matthew's gospel, some uh, literary literature is sort of in we see that interminglingly. That means uh, uh, it could have been some some redactors process happened there. So all that and the literary criticism, the the usage of words, the usage of if they. For example, when we look, when we read the Gospel of John, we see this Greek word uh, "apostinagogos" or the Greek phrase "apostinagogos" quite often, and that's sort of uh, speaking about um, that can um, that, that those words, those phrases, really um, sort of speaking about the the historical condition that they lived in. So, the, and also we have highly sophisticated apocryphal literature that John uses uh, in his revelations. So the literary criticism, we, we call it them criticism, but it's actually textual analysis, source analysis, form analysis and reduction analysis, and also literary uh, analysis So a uh, better way of calling them. By the way, any of these uh, things, these are the a group of scholars that they discover even the survey of the different, uh, what we call the, the one we just saw, uh, before the criteria, and all these are not the official church's positions. These are a group of scholars in different times. They developed this for for our better understanding. This is not the official way church look at the look at the written materials. And this is no way to uh, diminish the real value of of the written word of God. And if you have read that. Uh, famous uh, book of Pope um, Benedict, Joseph Rasinger, Jesus of Nazareth. The first, uh, uh, the volume itself, Pope, uh, Pope Benedict clearly says that the, uh, once we have this historical critical method to analyze and learn about the Bible, sometimes we make it as mere uh, a book of history book or a book, book of stories. But that's not the real idea to learn is to believe more and to live that more so any of these uh, criteria of or the analytical materials methods that we use is never to make it to or to make the scripture less valuable or diminish its real value but it is to enhance our understanding and to live that more richly and profoundly next one Seventh one, the theological trajectory. And the, the theological trajectory, I mean by that the theological trajectory that every author uh, had in mind, the human author had in mind when he, he was writing down something that uh, he had a community in front of him, a community going to going to a particular historical situation. Either it could be a confusion. For example, if you look at um, the um, letter to Galatians, Paul's community in Galatia, they were going through some kind of a confusion that uh, a nomadic uh, different groups of evangelize, evangelizers come came to Galatia and they said they have to follow the Jewish traditions, though they are Christians. And then, um, so they had this confusion and Paul was clarifying that, sometimes even using strong languages. So the author had uh, a, a community to address, and they were going through a particular historical situation and therefore he had a theological trajectory in writing down. So he looked the the whole story through his lens of that particular historical situation and he put down uh, those materials or all those uh, words accordingly. So every uh, author, human author in the the Bible has got a theological project or theological trajectory, theological what we call um, uh, aim or focus uh, in writing down. So therefore, everything uh, would have um, like same with the if you look at the modern day medias, you know, in order to get a true, uh, true, more or less true um, story, you need to read at least five newspapers, of, uh, because each newspaper could report same event, but in their own, with their own pol- political trajectory. In the same way, uh, the everyone uh, when each author wrote with a particular theological trajectory and that we have to learn from each, uh, when we read the scripture, we have to understand that in order to know that what he really meant by using those words. And that's why the the learning of the scripture always is the historical background of the text, historical background of the author, historical background of the community is very, very important to, to know. The next one. And sources of the Gospels, especially um, um, we have this um, uh, four Gospels and uh, um, they are one Gospel. In fact, there is only one Gospel, which is Christ himself, but we have four versions of one Gospel. So the life and teachings of Jesus are uh, the, uh, four ways represented in those written materials. So we have um, what we call um, materials... Um, Uh, The four Gospels, uh, four Gospels are like four versions of one true Gospel, so they are not uh, four uh, different entities. They are one Gospel between four versions. And the next slide. Now classification of uh, New Testament texts, the historical books, of course, the Gospels and the Acts. And then we have the didactic writings, the 14 Pauline letters, Pauline letters means letters of Paul and the seven Catholic epistles, that of uh, Jude, James, and uh, Peter, John. Uh, The um, the, uh, uh, Catholic means the the letter that was written to everyone, uh, the the whole church, not not to a particular church, but to the entire Christian world. So that's why they're called called Catholic epistles. Didactic writings of Paul, um, he was addressing to different community, community in Rome, community in Corinth, community in Ephesus, Community in Thessalonica, and so on, and so forth, and also some individuals, like if you look at Timothy and also Titus, uh, so he was writing to indu- individuals. And then we have the uh, prophetical uh, books in the Apocalypse, the, the Revelation. It is uh, it's highly prophetic in its nature and also um, ap- uh, Apocalypse uh, in its uh, literary style. So these are the three classifications uh, uh, of the New Testament texts. Uh, Next one, again, uh, the both Gospels and the Letters and uh, the Revelation, all these uh, um, the compiled New Testament uh, uh, documents, they are explanatory documents as well as they are confessionary documents. As I said, they are uh, of one Gospel. So life and death and resurrection of Jesus is the central theme. and uh, uh, The Gospels and Gospels, give their confessionary, that Gospels in fact confesses that they have seen this from the life of Jesus. This happened when he was there and he did this, he taught us this and all those. So they are the confessionary documents. And the rest of the book are the explanatory documents of that particular Gospel, about the life of Jesus, about his teachings, about the way that he wanted the church to go forward and all those things. So one true, uh, the the entire New Testament is gospel. Uh, So it's a confessionary documents, including the confessionary documents and the explanatory documents. Uh, So the one gospel, so they have, it has got a confessionary documents where the biography of Jesus uh, and uh, then the letters and the other um, revelation. Now the last slide. Let's not last one. Okay, some words from... Okay, in the New Testament, we have some uh, some clue uh, to what we call is, uh, the authors themselves. Uh, um, um, they have given us some idea about uh, how they approached not all authors, but some of the others. So let's look at uh, the second Thessalonians, what Paul speaks. You know, he says, therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have learned whether by word or by our epistles. So uh, this is what um, um, Paul uh, speaking about his own uh, way of writing, that uh, why he wrote things. And also when you look at first John, uh, John 1.1, uh, he's speaking about what he is writing That is that we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning whom we have heard. So this is quite personal. So he's confessing that we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands is the word of life. And again, Luke, Luke clearly gives about the compiling and also the, um, um, how he collected materials about his, his research, how he uh, uh, found the materials and how he put them together. So many, that's from Luke chapter 1, 1 to 4, many have undertaken to draw up an account of things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first uh, were eyewitnesses and the servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So Luke quite more clearly gives an idea of uh, his way of writing and why, why he wrote his things and uh, how he approached the materials and then so he, he in fact uh, in, interviewed the eyewitnesses and uh, put, before putting things down and then this is again from John this is the disciple who testifies these things and who has written them down and we know that his testimony is true now, there are also many other things that Jesus did uh, where every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So here, the author himself said, that there are a lot of other things there, but I'm not going to write all of them down because he can't. So that gives us some idea that the written materials does not contain or the materials do not contain uh, the, the historical facts entirely as they are because it's, it's impossible. And again, Acts of the Apostles, uh, again, that's uh, Luke coming back to that, he's saying that in my previous work, I did this, and this uh, um, this one again, um, uh, doing the second part, until the day he was taken up to heaven, giving instructions, and yes, uh, so he, again, is re-emphasizing his approach of writing. Next one. Okay, that's a um, um, funny thing for you. Guys, I need you to listen carefully. I don't want four versions of this going around. Is that the last one? And then, okay. Any
0: questions? If you guys have any questions, you can put them in the Q&A box and send it over. You can just type it up and uh, send it in the chat as well. Okay, so we've received one question. Yeah. The question is, Why was there four Gospels written and canonized? Why was there four? Why was there four Gospels written and canonized?
1: Okay. Again, uh, there were a lot of uh, other Gospels. For example, St. Thomas' Gospel and uh, Judas' Gospel and all those Gospels are there. And also other historical uh, documents that speak about the life of Jesus. But as I said, when uh, they were trying to canonize them, these three criteria they used, if these uh, materials being used in public worship. Especially when we look at the canon of uh, Council of Carthage, it's uh, Canon 24. It clearly says that uh, like in the olden days, we have to use only the inspired uh, written word of God, and they listed out all these 73 books of, uh, of, uh, of the Catholic canon. Uh, the council happened in, in Africa in Carthage in uh, 419. So the criteria was, it has been used in public worship from the beginning and it also underpins all the apostolic uh, teachings that is somehow go along with the apostolic teachings uh, and, uh, uh, and also go along with the living faith of the church, the church, the, the living tradition of the church. So using these criterias they looked at all all different uh, documents and uh, they found these uh, four gospels contained truth particularly because all these four gospels uh, were one was um, an apostle writing and the second one uh, um, and Luke and Mark they were collaborators with Paul and Mark had some access to Peter so they were sort of uh, um, um, they associated with the the original eyewitnesses of Jesus and his uh, life and teachings. So, and also Matthew, uh, Matthew's gospel um, um, was somehow you know the, there's a continuity from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Matthew's uh, picturing of Jesus is like a new Moses with the with the full power of a Messiah, and a lot of uh, you know like uh, Matthew was presenting... Jesus as uh, new Moses, that, uh, as the fulfillment of that all Judaic expectations, and especially he was writing to a community that was Jews uh, 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 in Rome, and so when they look at these four gospels, they saw the, the truth of Christ somehow contained more or less uh, in a fuller version. Uh, there is no much uh, thing to ta- uh, to take away, and so they somehow come in a full uh, full version. You know the the length and the the size is different but somehow the, the way they communicated the truth is uh, is somehow um, uh, close to the apostolic teaching so four gospels fixed in the in canon and all other gospels has got uh, shortcomings in them if you look at uh, the gospel of Thomas the way it speaks about um, um, Mary's ascension and or uh, in the gospel of uh, of Thomas but uh, uh, it gives some idea about you know the the, uh, the unique place of women in the uh, in the life in the life of the world and also the church that uh, because Mary couldn't be in heaven because she has got a female body therefore God changed that body into a male body and taken up and all those uh, so there are some inaccuracies and in, in the spiritual inaccuracies or the doctrinal inaccuracies there and therefore they decided that shouldn't be in the in the canon. They can be used as a historical document uh, to uh, like primary sources for some historical episodes, but uh, they, they do not contain the truth as a doctrinal truth in them. So these four gospels found, and they um, they somehow close to the apostolic because either an apostle or the, the other, other writers, re- write, re- uh, the synoptic gospel writers, they uh, were um, uh, collaborators with the apostles they witnessed uh, the um, the apostolic teaching and uh, uh, and they, they heard from the primary source so uh, that's why these four gospels are put into canon and others uh, we have to take them away i mean the church has to take them away
0: thank you yeah more questions so yeah I think we can wrap it up. Will you be able to give us a blessing before we head off? Uh, no more questions? No, none has come in. Okay,
1: very good. Um, so in that case, uh, last time somebody asked about the uh, Jerome's uh, influence and uh, why it was disregarded, and uh, I had a, a good read of that, and um, yes. Um, Pope Decimus uh, commissioned Jerome to put together the the the, the Latin uh, Vulgate and uh, uh, he did that quite thing but uh, he was not the um, when i was looking at different uh, scholarly opinions on that um, yes he suggested that uh, deuterocanonim he did not suggest them as not to be in the canon he said they are the explanatory books and uh, so but he had um, uh, the uh, um, he did not in fact, discouraged them to be in canon. He, what he suggested that, like in the Hebrew text, uh, the prophets and the Torah are the, uh, the the scripture, and the other books are the explanatory books. We have to treat the canonical books like that. And uh, later, um, um, a lot of the like he he was from the east, and also the uh, Antiochian Church fathers also supported the uh, the, the canonical books because that somehow communicated the living context of the people of community uh, uh, towards after the Babylonian exile, towards the time of Jesus. And so therefore um, they can be in canon. And it was in Carthage, um, the Council of Carthage that finally said that these, uh, when they gave the list of the books that should be read, uh, that they are the only things to be read in the church, and they called Esediva Inspired Word of God, and in that list, you know, canonical books were included. And after the reform, or the, during the Reformation and after the Reformation, always remember that Church never took, added any books, even in the Council of Trent that was responding to the issues raised by the Reformers. Church never added any books. It was the Reformers who took the books away from the already existing canon. So the the Catholic thing that was never added, but it was when you look at the other books, uh, other the different Bibles, it was they who took uh, the books away. But the Church always um, uh, um, from early, like uh, Saint Augustine, uh, he was he insisted that these deuterocanonical books of the Old Testament should be part of the Catholic Bible. So uh, Jerome, uh, of course, he he had his contribution, but he was not the uh, he was not the final authority of fixing the canon and uh, uh, when he suggested that some other church fathers also suggested that the deuterocanonical books should go into the canon. And when Protestants uh, hold Jerome's opinion to underpin their position of taking away the books, um, there uh, there are different other things that Jerome suggested or taught in fact about the eternal virginity of Mary, Mary as the mother of God and his teaching on Mary. And they never took any of those words uh, seriously from Jerome. And how can they take uh, only this part of his teaching uh, from uh, Jerome uh, um, uh, to underpin uh, their position of decanonizing uh, of their canonizing or putting books in their canon. So uh, different opinions on that, but uh, again, Jerome did not discourage it uh, uh, in a strong language. They shouldn't be there. He encouraged that they should be treated as explanatory notes like the historical books written in the Hebrew Bible. With to that, one more minute. So Lord, just ask you to help us to uh, discover the beauty, richness uh, that you have given us in the sacred scripture. Help us to read, help us to understand the uh, in, uh, increase of faith to live that fully that we will bear fruit for you in this world. May Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit.
0: Thank you, Father Baijiu. And thank you for all those that attended. Uh, If you want to re-listen to it, it will be on the Wednesday webinar Spotify uh, page. So if you haven't followed that, please go and follow that. And we hope to see you at the next webinar. Thank you.